You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've been spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today, the letter is P, and P is for parenting, sex, and pornography. What do you do when your child asks about pornography? How do you handle questions about sex? Parents often struggle with what sex education to give their child and when, so that's some of what we'll be talking about today. Joining me today is Anita Cassidy. Having spent her 20s in advertising sales and management, Anita got married and had two children aged 31. So far, so socially acceptable. Age 35, she stopped drinking and quickly rediscovered her libido and her love of life. Anita had her first book, Appetite, a novel about food, adultery, marriage, and change, published in 2018, and is currently working on a trilogy about relationships, family, alcohol, society, and sex. In 2017, she co-founded the Only Conscious Relationship Community, Aletheia, and website and socials, as well as other projects underneath the umbrella, which is all growing at the moment. Happily co-parenting her two children, she's active on the BDSM scene in London, as well as loving art, theater, and Thai food. She lives in central London, and her primary relationship is with herself and her city. Welcome to the show, Anita. Hi, Laurie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So, and pornography. <laughs> That's where we should start. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two things that are guaranteed to get people thinking. Right. Um, and I, I think actually it's almost like the first place you have to start with this is what you think about these things. Like what are your baseline assumptions and ideas about where this stuff has to go? Absolutely. Absolutely the first place to start. You can't really deal with your kids around these issues unless you know what you feel okay about and what you don't feel okay about. So you had to have worked out your own moral understanding of these issues. You had to have worked out your own beliefs about what information is shared and isn't shared and when. But I also think that you need to, in order to do that and do it well, you also need to understand something about child development. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the big thing for me is questioning the assumptions you might have made because we've all been taught messages. You know, think about about pornography and kids and where those messages have come from. They might have come from the mainstream media, your own parents, and actually to think first about the assumptions and the ideas that you've got and maybe get out there in the wider world and think about reading some stuff that might help you think about where you might have picked up some uh, kind of slightly off ideas about those things. I mean, there's a big thing in the mainstream press about pornography harming kids and causing damage, causing harm, causing certain behaviors. And actually most of the evidence says that's not the case. 
Um, and actually fewer kids than you think are exposed to these things. But again, it's about questioning what your assumptions are, what your thoughts are, and taking it from there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the, the things is that, that um, this is such a big splash in the media yeah. that um, if you look at mainstream media over time, you would believe that children are accessing pornography all the time um, from a very young age um, and that it is very hard to keep children out with the current state of technology. Uh, in fact, yes, children, yes, adolescents are the ones who tend to access pornography. Mm. Children don't tend to access pornography because they're not motivated to look for it. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. And so there is an issue about, you know, where do you want your child to learn about sex? You would prefer that they learned from you and not from pornography. So that's certainly a, a, a valid issue and an important one to have a conversation on. But what I see is this really extreme knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. Um, and, and so, for example, the whole they're going to put a um, system into place so that you have to have your age verified before you can access online pornography the fact that that's almost it's incredibly difficult to do yeah in a way that doesn't put your information at risk sure and your privacy at risk as an adult doesn't seem to be sort of the primary thing that people are concerned about they're, they're, everybody's up in arms and somehow this is going to protect all children everywhere and it's going to cut down on all sorts of things but actually there are still always going to be back doors there is still always going to be loopholes. So it's it's not a kind of cut and dry, black and white issue. And I, I think what it is as well, it's about, you know, children are going to come across things because they, they come across things. I mean, I used to take a sneaky peek inside the Sunday sport when I was delivering newspapers as a teenager. You know, it's a very famous kind of British tabloid that was full of naked women and kind of sexy pictures when I was growing up. And I think, you know, it's not about preventing access. It's about helping children understand how they feel when they come across these things, because invariably they will, whether a friend shows them, they see something by mistake, they type the wrong word into a search engine, not realizing it will generate images and ideas and things that they're not familiar with. And I think it's about, for me, making sure you've created a space at home where they feel comfortable talking with you about those things, you know, mm -hmm. so they understand that they you know, they, they've got questions or concerns about things they've come across or seen. They can come talk to you about anything. You know, they're not going to get punished or told off for stumbling across things or seeing things. Um, and that's really important, you know, to create that space at home. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, think underlining, again, the importance of, of having them understand that they're not going to get in any trouble because they talk with you about things. Absolutely. That's not a problem. Um it's it, it's it's um it's one of those things that parents have a lot of difficulty with because the knee-jerk reaction to um a child either having pornography on their iPad or their phone or their computer or come or coming and saying something about something that they've seen is for many parents to get quite upset and quite angry sure. and that actually doesn't help no, of course not. Of course and, not. And in fact, what it does is it tells the child that there's something interesting about this because it does rile up their parents. 
absolutely. It's a bit like swearing the first few times children swear, if swearing has been made a big deal of in the home. And I think absolutely anything, anything where that you're going to create strong reactions, like around sex and around pornography, it's just really important to be aware of those responses and reactions and kind of talk through those as well. Um, I guess, and talk about, you know, talk about what you're trying to protect them from, but also encourage the cure. I mean, it's okay to be curious about these things. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would certainly want to allow them to understand that curiosity. So what kinds of questions? I mean, I'm always interested, you know, um, my son has not um, brought up questions about um, pornography as of yet. He's aware of pornography, but he's almost 17. And so it's not such a big deal um, at this point because he's quite comfortable talking to us. There's no issues around it. But um, what kinds of questions you have younger children have you got? I think for me, the main things they want to know are kind of just what is it? You know, they, I think they don't even know. They don't even, they, I mean, they are, I mean, they're nine and 11. They're still a little bit young. They almost don't really, they understand what sex is, but I think practically they're still, they don't really think about their bodies in that way yet. Yeah. But I think for me, what I've been trying to do is really normalize bodies and normalize difference and try to talk about the difference between what they might see on computers and in photographs, the difference between that and real world bodies and real world sex. And I've mm-hmm. described it to my son as being a bit like the difference between watching GTA, you know, GTA 5, the difference between GTA 5 and the driving in that compared to us driving to the supermarket, you know, or like a Hollywood car crash or a Hollywood car chase and driving to the shops. You know, real world sex is about as far away from porn as Hollywood car chases are from driving down the road here in the UK. That's beautiful. Comparing, you know, comparing those two things, it helps them see that, you know, porn is a business, it's a production, it's meant to be entertainment for adults, you know, consenting adults to enjoy. And that's absolutely fine, but know that it's not real world sex most of the time. And so one of the things people worry about is 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 children being traumatized by what they see. Yeah. And certainly I'm sure there are things that will traumatize children. I mean, they used to worry about um um, the damage that happened when children walked in on parents having sex. They don't talk yeah, about that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. my God. <laughs> right. And it was like it was going to scar them for life. In fact, most kids don't remember it when they're grown. And if they do, it's it's amusing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that's like kind of stumbling across something. Um, we're a couple minutes from break. When we come back, we're going to ch- continue this conversation about pornography, but also about sex education and what we think are the important elements that that kids need in order to grow up um, happy, healthy, comfortable with themselves, um, comfortable with difference in the world around them. So you can write in with your questions via email, lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com, and we'd be happy to answer them or phone in. Please, there is no such thing as a stupid question. We will be happy to answer any question. And we'll be back in a couple minutes after our sponsors say a few things. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. 
Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the Stay Dry Barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. How do you feel about a non-monogamous lifestyle? Does it sound enticing? Are you worried about what others might think? Your questions are answered on Sex Interrupted with Tara and James. It's a discussion about the swinger lifestyle, non-monogamy, sex, sexuality, and where it all fits in. All we ask is that you listen with an open heart and an open mind, and you will find your desires and fantasies can come true. Tune in to Sex Interrupted with Tara and James every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of Sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at DrLoriBethBisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of Sex. Welcome back to segment two. Today, the letter is P, and P is for parenting, sex, and pornography, and I'm talking with Anita Cassidy. And before the break, we said we were going to start talk a bit about um, what we tell people and when, um, what we tell our children and when, what's most important. So, um, I'm a big fan of as soon as a child asks about sex, that you need to give them an appropriate, age-appropriate answer. Um, and I'm a big fan of no fairy tales, right? So, yeah, you know, no storks bring a baby. <laughs> Absolutely. And proper words as well. The big thing for me has always been proper words. I mean, I may have used the word willy rather than penis before, um, before he hit five, for example, with my son. Um, but I always use vagina and vulva for my daughter. I always use willy or penis for my son and bottom and breasts, all that in the proper words to give them that kind of confidence with their body. Yeah. I mean, we were at, um, um, my husband and I went to play cards with two other couples. We played Cards Against Humanity last week. And this conversation came up at one point re- using real words. And um, one of the women there was saying that she's never liked the word vagina and there's historical reasons for that. And she would talk about the etymology, which I'm not going to do at this point. Nope. But then um, essentially she decided to cho- choose another old English word for the parts. So she taught her daughter to say cunt. And, wow, um, awesome. <laughs> and, yeah, and, but it, her daughter talked about her cunt at nursery would not have been a good thing, right? No. So um, it, it's this whole thing about what do we do in real words? Like it's vulva, it's not vagina. 
Vagina is the internal part. And yet, yeah, but, but, and, uh, but when I say vagina, I mean that. I mean, I talk right. about the fact that there are two parts, you know, several parts, and the clitoris as well. I think, you know, it's so important to me that, you know, the children get, you know, a proper understanding of the way these pieces and parts of themselves all slot together in the same way that we say knee and thigh and calf and ankle, you know. Yeah. It's about understanding the ways in which we've been socialized to be shamed and shameful around these parts and actually to really break through that by giving the parts their names. Yeah, and, and explaining the anatomy and how things work. Yeah. And, you know, kids will often ask when they're quite young. And so you don't have to go through the whole, um, you know, chapter and verse of all the anatomy and all how everything works when a child is three or four years old. No. But you do need... To say something, I mean, when we talked about masturbation, one of the things I highlighted is that, you know, kids start pleasuring themselves at 18 months old as soon as they find their parts Mm. and they rub them. They realize it feels good and it's comforting and they start there. And mostly what we need to be doing then as parents is walking that tightrope between making sure that we don't shame them at all, Mm. but also helping them not to do that in public all the time. It's a private, like it's a private thing. And again, yes. it's about saying, you know, your body, but your body is yours. It's for you to enjoy. You know, touch feels good. You know, consented touch is great. But yeah, like it's for a private time. Yeah. And the same thing with keeping clothes on. Like stripping off in the supermarket is really not okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with your body, but everybody doesn't have to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Then the novel, in my novel Appetite, there's quite a lot of talk around an, an adult woman and her experience of being shamed and punished for masturbating as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much kind of historical, so many historical problems in our society with kind of shaming and punishing women in particular for exploring their own bodies and, for, and figuring out for themselves what they like. And I think it's so important to communicate to boys and girls that their bodies are for them. The pleasure, pleasure is for both sexes, it's for everyone to enjoy. Um, and to really kind of communicate that kind of time for exploration and um, just getting to know themselves. Yeah, I also think, I mean, we we often focus on the the negatives. You know, sex education in school is often about, you know, uh, don't get pregnant, and these are the things you need to do to avoid X, Y, Z, sexually transmitted disease, many of which may kill you. Yeah, of course. It's all fear-based to me, it's really important that we are clear that pleasure is involved. Yes. And those people who have moral issues with talking about the pleasure um, and really want procreation mentioned all the time, you know, there are ways to do both. And you can talk about the fact that because it feels good, it encourages you. And that's how people do end up procreating and the species continues. Yeah. If it didn't feel good, we probably wouldn't be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense, of course. So those sorts of things. But also, a lot of sex education doesn't talk about anything other than heteronormative sex. Absolutely. Yeah. Classic kind of penis in vagina, missionary position, that kind of very standard, limiting kind of ideas. I mean, I talk a lot about... And again, an age-appropriate way, talking about pleasure. But I talk about play a lot. Whenever I talk about sex with my children, I tend to focus on the word play and say it's the way that adults play with their bodies, enjoy each other and play with their, you know, play with people they care about and kind of really try and bring the idea of enjoyment and playfulness and pleasure and fun. I mean, Jesus, it's fun, you know? Right. And I think actually, again, 
going back to porn, all too often, porn just doesn't look fun for everyone on screen. You know, it just doesn't look fun for everyone. No. It's so important to emphasize that sex is meant to be enjoyable for everyone. And that's often what's missing from the images, I think, that people are seeing. Um, that's why it's really important to focus on that so that from the off, children understand that everyone's meant to be enjoying themselves, you know, not just one person at right. the expense of another. Right. And, and, then, and then also identity and relationships as well. Um, kids bring up questions. They bring up questions about things they see, sometimes before they understand. They bring up questions about things they feel. So, for example, um, issues around trans. There's been this whole um, recent rash of hugely anti-trans um, uh, propaganda in the guise of, of good education. Mm. Uh, and there are so many ways in which we, we can educate in a very neutral way so that what you're saying, what you're doing is you're letting the child know about all the things that are out there Yeah. when they're asking. Um, and there's no evidence that, w- that anybody influences a child in that way Absolutely. at all. Yeah, it's just, again, at the end of the day, it's just information. And I think if you're presenting it as information, it's not like, prop- it isn't, you know, you're not trying to convert anyone or change anyone. It's just about information, about just the unique nature of everyone's way of being in the world. Yes. So one of the big questions I often get asked is, is what do you do if a child asks you about your sex life? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I've had that recently. My son's like, we they saw something on TV where someone's kind of rubbing, you know, kind of enjoy, kind of poking at someone's breasts, you know, enjoying yeah. someone's breasts. And Alexander looked at me a bit concerned for a moment. He's 11 and a half. And he said, oh, does Andrea do that to you? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, you know, he enjoys playing with that part of my body. And he looked completely appalled. But, you know, what, what, what else am I going to say? You know, it's like you know, just being matter of fact about it seem like the right thing to do? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two, two ways of going about it. That's one way of answering. There are certain times, depending on the, the depth of question, cool. where it's also appropriate to tell a child that's private. Yeah. Right? You yeah. know, I, and, and, and I'm not going to give you the details of the kind of things that I get up to because mm. it's private. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it, and it's not dangerous or upsetting. It's just mine, just like you have things that you keep private. But, if you're going to do that as a parent, it is crucially important that you honor your child's privacy. Yep, absolutely. It has to go both ways. Yes. That's the thing. Yep, of course. I can't tell you how often parents will be, that I've seen will be, oh, to the child, no, you can't come into our room without knocking, and no, I'm not going to talk to you about that. And then when it comes down to it, they just open the child's room door and just want in. Yep. Without and that's about boundaries and consent, isn't it? Which again, one would hope, are very much forming the basis of these conversations in the first place. You know that you start there, you start about boundaries, consent, and talk about how often those kind of things are missing in pornography as well. Yes, about the fact that the things that are so important in the real world are often missing from again the images and things they might see. Um, But you're right. If you're going to ask for privacy and respect from a person, you know, then you have to give it back. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, and it's always kind of amusing that that little back and forth. Yeah, of course. With that. It, things like, please knock on the door before you come in. Yeah. 
all that sort of stuff. Um, so you had mentioned in the break when people have alternative sexualities and how we deal with that with our children, when our children ask. Yeah. And this is an interesting one. Um, for people who live, um, for example, let's start with non-monogamy. For mm. people who are living in an open, open non-monogamous lifestyle, that can be one of the things that's quite difficult to negotiate as to how much they want their child to know and how many of the people in their network they want their child or children to know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough one. I, 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 it's important that kids get to know people that are going to be around. Absolutely. Because people, the kids form attachments. And what you don't want is them forming an attachment, the person disappearing, another person coming along, them forming an attachment, the person disappearing. That's not helpful to them. No. At the same time, it is important that they understand the nature of the relationship because they will pick up on it. So if you don't give them an explanation, you're giving them, um, you're teaching them not to trust their instincts, which is yeah. not good. Yeah. Oh, especially if you lie as well. If you say, oh, they're just a friend or it's someone I know from work and the child picks up an energy between you, it's very different to that. Then again, they, it's about trust, isn't it? And about understanding. Absolutely. And so it's not just about trust and understanding between the two of you, but they learn not to trust their own Absolutely. intuition, which is the worst yeah. of the worst. So um, with, with non-monogamy, it can be a little bit difficult to manage, but it tends to be less so. We're about two minutes from break again, believe it or not. Um, when we come back, uh, we're going to continue talking about this, and we'll talk a bit about um, dealing with, with gender and transitions and also dealing with um, kids coming out a little bit and, um, and dealing with BDSM and kink and power exchange and how that looks when you've got a family life. Again, you can write in with your questions or phone in. We'd be happy to answer them. And we look forward to more when we come back after our sponsors. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos. And keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter. All on the sexy lifestyle. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today. At lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive. So we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks, Parrish Michelle Blair, and Jet Setting Jasmine, with Marla Renee Stewart and Tiffany Janae. You won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Sexy Lifestyle Network.
This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. This is part three of P is for parenting, sex, and pornography. And I am talking with Anita Cassidy today. So before the break, um, we were talking about what you tell kids in situations where you're living in a more alternative lifestyle or you're practicing alternative sexuality. And one of the things that we were talking about was, you know, dealing with something like non-monogamy and polyamory. Um, And earlier I I mentioned you want to give a kid an age-appropriate explanation. So it might help to have an idea about what that might look like. Um, When you're looking at kids sort of below the age of five, very simple and not very much information. Just answer the question. And I know that sounds weird, but a good example of this is um, my son was three, three and a half-ish. And he came to me one day and he said, David and Gary, my brother and his partner, are like you and daddy, right? Oh, okay. And all he needed was, yes. Absolutely. Yep. Right? That's all he needed. And off he went. Yep. And when some child at school told him that you had to have a mommy and a daddy, he said, no, some people have two daddies. Oh, and I've had very similar things where, you know, Kate's come home from school saying, um, you know, so-and-so at school said that girls can't get married. I'm like, well, yes, they can. So she trots back and says, yes, they can. <laughs> so and, and that's it. And that's literally it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at that age, he didn't want to... Fact. Yeah. Exactly. And at that age, he didn't want to know about sex. He wanted to understand the relationship. And often parents miss that. They think the child's asking about sex when, in fact, there are a lot of times children are actually asking about the nature of relationships. Yeah. Now, when they get older, you know, when you're talking, you so you've got a nine and eleven year old. It depends partly on when puberty started, how much detail you give. I mean, when puberty started, you do end up giving more detail in answer to the question. But the key is, is, um, and I believe you said this earlier. I mean, the key is to really listen to what your child's saying, answer, and then less is more. They will ask follow up questions. Absolutely. Make it's sure. Mm-hmm. So it's so important to create that space, isn't it? The space where they feel like they can be heard and they can ask questions in the first place. It's almost, it's almost worth making sure that actually they are asking questions, if that makes sense. It's yes. like, actually, I would be concerned if I had, you know, children 9, 10, 11 that weren't asking questions at home. You know, that would be a red flag, I think. What do you think? I think that would be. I think you, you'd need to be concerned about whether they feel safe enough to talk to you. Yeah. And that is important. It's not unusual for um, same-sex kids to choose to talk to their their same-sex parent, right? So girls talk to their mothers, boys talk to their fathers. If the parent is in their life, when it comes to more personal questions as they hit adolescence. So the, the child might not be willing to talk to, if there are two of you in the home, both of you or more. 
And sometimes children are just really shy about talking to their own parents. So you need to make sure that they've got appropriate adults they can talk to. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, uncles, aunts, cousins, safe people that they can trust. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, So when you get to things like um, people who are living in in a power exchange relationship, so in a BDSM relationship, things can get a little bit more complicated. Younger children unless you are being very careless, will not see that there's much of a difference between your relationship and just a very traditional relationship. Mm. Um, But when children are in their teens, you you have no idea how much they absorb. Some kids absorb a lot and, and, and bright kids make connections Um, and will ask questions. Yeah. And I think the important thing is to remember that they don't want a lot of information about you, even when they ask those questions. Sure. That that makes sense. Right. They might want to understand understand what it is so you can talk to them about what things are. Mm. You can actually, you can give them resources so that they can like read a book, hear um, a podcast, and then come talk to you with questions. But they don't want to know usually what you and your people are doing in bed. Yeah. Yep. In the same way that actually, again, you probably don't really want to know what they're up to as they mature into sexually active adults as well. It's kind of, again, it is, it is private, but I think it's just about knowing that they feel safe to ask. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think you need to, to, to keep in mind if you're living in an unorthodox lifestyle that um, kids, when they grow up in an unorthodox family structure, what they see is normal to them. And they don't know that it's not the norm until they say something to someone and they look at the person looks at them yeah. as, though, as though they have two heads or mm-hmm. until they've been out in the world long enough that they realize that their home looks different from the other people's home. And at that point, it's actually really kind of important to give them some protection against what other people will decide about their parents' relationships or their family structure. Yeah. So when they're teenagers, I always like to start with consent, no matter what kind of relationship you live with. I don't trust, although it is on the curriculum at school here now in England, I don't trust that they're going to be taught consent in any kind of a useful or helpful way. I tend to agree. I think it's a really important thing to be talking about in the home on just an ongoing basis, really. And mm-hmm. to have that kind of foundation of boundaries and consent when, you know, so that they, you've got that kind of social foundation before you then talk about why it's even more important in the sexual environment and the physical environment than it is just generally, but to talk about it across all those different things. Yeah, and then that kind of training starts out when they're little, when you start teaching them about their bodies. And, and and parents who are listening, yes, I am suggesting that you actively teach your children, right? That you don't just wait for them to ask questions, but that you actively teach them at a young age that their body um, is a pleasurable, you know, as we said before, their body is a pleasurable instrument. Yeah. That their body belongs to them, that they have a right Absolutely. to say no to any kind of touch. Absolutely. And that we will honor that 
and then give it a name. And that is called a boundary. One of the reasons people don't understand boundaries is they're never taught about that. It's not a word I ever came across, you know, growing up. And the same with consent as well. You know, being forced to endure hugs from uncles, being forced to kind of kiss granny on the cheek, all of that stuff. I know how normalized and socialized it is, but we do have a responsibility to really challenge those kind of habits and behaviors and say, we only do these things if we really want to. Um, you know, we have to choose to do those things. And that's what consent's about. And, and, and it is actually really easy to find, um, you know, simple words. Like when you talk about a boundary, you know, you draw, I, I used to draw pictures of a fence, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a boundary. It's the line between one thing and the other. Yeah. You know, and and start there. Start with the concrete and add, and build the abstract concepts around them. That makes a lot of sense. I think keeping it simple as well, definitely. Keeping it simple when they're smaller, like say when they're teenagers, you know, talking through scenarios, making sure that, you know, you're kind of creating the space and giving them the opportunity to ask, you know, is this okay? Is that okay? Absolutely. So we're a few minutes from break again, believe it or not. I want to take this opportunity to remind people that they might want to sign up for Naughty in New Orleans, which is happening. Um, the 20, I always get the dates wrong, so I, I, I want to pay attention. The 24th to the 28th of July, 2019. And this is the largest lifestyle convention for couples in the world. There are over 1,300 couples. It's not a full take, not only a full takeover of two of the French Quarter's biggest hotels, but it also takes over Bourbon Street. So there's activities and parties and parades, and it's a lot of fun. If you want more information and you want to book a spot, head over to thesexylifestyle.com and go look on the travel and events page. I also encourage people to look on the business and um, and and sex academy pages for other events, including the workshops that I'm teaching in London um, in the next. Uh, a couple of months, as well as um, online um, educational opportunities, parties, and fun as well. And we will be back in a couple of minutes. Please call in with your questions, write in with your questions, and we will try to answer them in the last part of P is for parenting, pornography, and sex. We'll speak with you soon. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Are you ready for your erotic journey? Join host Lexi Silver every week for SDC's Seek, Discover, Create, the radio show. Whether you're new at this journey or well-traveled on the sexual road, we'll help you find your way with guest experts and hot topics about sex, relationships, and your health. You can also connect with the communities of SDC.com for even more advice and discussion. Listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Your sex energy is your life energy. That's a central focus of The Conscious Living Show with Dr. Nancy Sutton Pierce and her husband, Dr. Mark Pierce. The health of your sexual life is a parameter for your physical, mental, and intimate relationship health. If something is out of whack, by listening, you may be able to identify the problem and fix it. And it's not always about the sex. Tune in to The Conscious Living Show, broadcasting live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. 
Tune in to talk about sex and sexuality from a man's point of view. The Everything Sexy Show is direct, open, and uncensored discussions, ranging from open relationships to kink, sex parties, and self-love. Hosted by Jamal and Polly Rick, they'll answer your questions, discuss topics you're curious about, and provide a safe forum for perverted and provocative discussions you just won't get anywhere else. Check it out. It never hurts to listen. Everything Sexy, Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody, welcome to the last part of P is for Parenting, Pornography, and Sex. And I am talking with Anita Cassidy. Um, where were we before the break? We're talking about boundaries and consent and Absolutely. how to kind of talk about that in a really simple and easy to understand way with smaller children, but that with adolescents, you kind of you go into the nitty gritty a bit more. I like to get adolescents to do things like practice gaining consent. Uh, I think that's really important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think often can sound a bit awkward, but I think it's really important to practice these things. I mean, it's like learning to say no, learning to say yes. We almost need to kind of normalize and help people understand that it's okay to say no. And it's also okay to, you know, be enthusiastic and say yes too. And it's okay to feel bad about it, right? If you're, if somebody says no to you that you really fancy, it's okay to feel bad. What's not okay is to bully or push or, you know, yeah, be cruel. Or insist, absolutely. You know, it's not. I, I don't. I, I don't like when we when when um, educators lead people to believe that this is you know all. You should feel fine. You know, no feelings exist. Feelings are feelings. You can have your feelings, but what's important is what you do with them. Yeah, and we have right. to demonstrate the same behaviors as as parents. We need our ducks in a row. If if they observe us being coercive and being difficult and not gaining consent and not hearing when somebody's saying no, then they're going to do what what they see, not what we say. Yeah, your uh, what is it? It's the um, it's Thoreau, I think. You know what you do speaks so loud. I cannot hear what you say. Yes, and that's where your actions again around consent, but also around you know not not forcing people and not kind of pushing boundaries is just so important. Absolutely, absolutely, and I mean I think consent is one that I'm I've spent a lot of time on, um, and then I actually teach to adults as well. One of the um, concerns recently has been that no matter um, how a, a, a young man has has gotten oral consent, um, there's still a risk that the partner is going to say that that they didn't consent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and although that does happen sometimes, and I know that that the um, environment is is so intense around this now. So one of my very simple suggestion, for young men is if you are sleeping with a young lady and you are 
at the point where you believe you've had consent and you're in the bedroom and you're getting ready to have sex, have her help you put the condom on. Yep. That demonstrates consent. If she or he, because he might be playing with a man, backs off at that point, shows hesitancy, then assume you don't have consent and end. Yeah. Honor that and end it. Don't push it. It's just another way of checking it without asking 45. And actually, that's really interesting. The talk about the condoms interesting because you were, what you were talking earlier about, you know, um, making sure that we really highlight the kind of fear-based messages around STDs, but that we do talk about safe sex. Because obviously, what do you never see in porn? Mainstream porn, you don't ever see anyone putting a condom on. So again, it's about reminding, reminding you know, children and adolescents that what they're seeing on the big screen or the little screen or the magazine or whatever isn't necessarily what it's going to look like when they're doing it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, when they're old enough, when they're teens, when they're young adults, actually, and they're out in the world, if they do come and talk to you about pornography, educating them about ethical pornography is a good thing to do. Yep, Absolutely. Yeah, makes sense. It's a good idea to talk about the difference, I think, and talk about the fact that, you know, it's like the difference between a kind of organic home-cooked meal and going for McDonald's. You know, it's about talking, you know, about the different types of porn that are out there and the fact that actually it might feel better to watch something that, you know, real people have made, like the whole Make Love Not Porn site where you can watch, you know, normal people, regular people basically having sex with each other. Um, The difference between that and the kind of just very glossy, very sort of, staged kind of porn that you might get on some more standard kind of websites. Yeah. And that, uh, and, 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 and what the purpose of pornography is and that the purpose of pornography should be entertainment. Yeah. So um, what do you think? What if something is totally against your, view of the world or your morality and your child comes out with it. Like um, I I mentioned talking about dealing with kids coming out. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes it's not against your morality. Kids come out, but it's just hard to to know what the best thing to do is. Um, As really quick advice that I give in that it's, it's really listen to the child and let them know they're loved period. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. It was way while you were saying that. That's, that's, oh, listen and love. I mean, what, it's, it's kind of that's your basic starting point. And I think, you know, be honest about how you're feeling. I mean, not in an aggressive way or a shaming way, but just say, you know, I've got some difficult feelings around this um, and I might need some time to read and process and think about this too, but know that I love you and know that I'm, you know, I want to talk with you about this. I want to understand this better, but the love... And the showing of the love and not withdrawing or being passive aggressive and kind of watching your own reactions and making sure that your behavior is still loving and that you do reassure them that it's, you know, how they are is okay because it is. And, 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 and there's another bit to that, which is making sure that, that um, you don't ask them to educate you, which is something that I see happen quite a lot. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm going to go away and think about this, and then I'm going to come back and ask you a hundred questions about why. Yeah. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. First of all, think about that. How would you feel if somebody was asking you to justify who you love? Mm. Yeah. It would feel really uncomfortable to me. Yeah. Yeah. To have somebody ask me to justify 
um, my attractions. It's it's not their business. Um, so oftentimes people don't think about it and they ask questions that they believe are well-meaning. <laughs> yep. Um, but that are actually coming from their own anxieties. Yep. Well, that takes us back to where we started, isn't it? Which is about reflecting on your own assumptions, reflecting on the, the messages you received, and really taking that time out, I think, to think about your own relationship with sex and relationships, um, whether it's pornography or whatever it is, and actually really take that time out to think about those, um, think about where they came from, and think about whether actually they still, they're still valid right now. Absolutely. And I mean, this is one of the things that um, people don't often reflect on. But if you are having children, you know, you are having a child. Yeah, this is one of, you know, people read books about every aspect of parenting. This is one of the areas to prepare for. Definitely. Yeah. How am I going to talk to my child about love and relationships and sex and procreation? Yeah. What do I want to make sure that they know? Yeah. And what do I need to understand better myself? Because I think most of us, you know, I'm so glad that I've done the reading and the learning that I've done the last couple of years because I feel so much better placed now to have conversations with my children that embrace such a broad spectrum of ideas. Yes. So I think it is about reading, you know, looking at your website, reading material that actually helps you educate and broaden beyond your perhaps your own limited experiences of, of those things. Yes, and then also reminding people that there is professional help available. Yeah. Um, and that it's it it's perfectly appropriate to seek help for educating yourself. But also if you do run into a roadblock or difficulties um, around these areas, if you had uh, for example, if you were a, a sexual abuse survivor yeah. and you have a difficult relationship to sex and sexual relationships, it is a good idea to seek out some professional support around how this will play out in your parenting yeah, and changing any negative messaging and, and, and dealing with any concerns. But also, even if you're perfectly fine with all of that, you can run into roadblocks with your kids around these sorts of issues. And it's okay to seek out help together to yeah. work on explaining a particular difficult thing. I've and had parents yeah. and teenagers come in together because the teenager wanted something explained to explain something to the parents in an environment where there would be someone to make sure that the parents were properly listening. Sure. That makes sense. And I think it's okay to say it's perfectly acceptable to say I'm finding this hard. I've got difficult feelings around this, but to show that commitment to learning to understanding, to listening, um, and sort of demonstrate that kind of willingness to kind of look at your own stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's a big, I mean, it's often a big ask for people, but I just think if you're looking for a relationship with your teenagers you know, into their adult lives, then it's really crucial, really crucial. We know that when kids have good sex education um, and have good education around um, consent and boundaries that they're a bit more protected from sexual assault. Yeah. Not totally, just a bit, just like, you, you know, adults who have all sorts of knowledge are not necessarily protected, completely protected from sexual assault. Um, but they know what to do if somebody assaults them as well. 
They recognize it as an assault and they deal with it much more quickly. And so the impact can be ameliorated much more easily because the sooner you deal with things like that, the easier it is to help the person, the less severe psychological symptoms that people develop. So if they have no information and they have no idea what's happening, what somebody's trying to do, it's much harder. Yeah, of course. So what do you wish that you had been talked to about when you were growing up in terms of... Well, given that the one message I heard about sex from my parents was, be careful. Um, (laughs) And the only information I got about relationships was literally from, you know, mainstream press, Cosmo magazine and Girl magazine. Um, I think I just wish I'd been taught that, you know, how that my pleasure was important uh-huh. That pleasure was important and that actually sex was something that was really important for me to think about for myself, you know, uh-huh. actually that my needs, my desires, my fantasies were important. I could access those and think about those and give that space in my life. That's great. I, I mean, I, I would echo that. I certainly was never taught anything like that. Um, uh, I, I think one of the things I, I would have liked is, is my preference for where I got my information to have been honored which it wasn't. Um, and I didn't get a lot of information either that w- was, was helpful. I, I got a more medical information. My dad was a medical doctor, so I got lots of medical information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? um, and I'm not sure. That's, hmm? that's, yeah, that's not really what you want. You don't really want an anatomy lesson, really, at that at certain point. It's time to move on. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I, I do wish that uh, there had been a safe space to actually have these conversations um, at a level of talking about consent and what I was interested in and and am I okay? Because a lot of the times what your kids are coming forward with around sex um, and relationships is, I have these desires, am I okay? And they really just need reassurance that they are at their core okay. So we're a couple of minutes from close for this week. If you still have questions, even after the show, feel free to um, email and um, we'll pick them up on the next show. Thank you, Anita, for joining me today again. To you. It's really good to have you back. Um, next week, Q is for queer. And so we'll be talking about queer in terms of, of an identification, but also in terms of where that falls in terms of politics, what it used to mean, what it means now. Um, And I am really excited about that. It should be a lot of fun. So please come back and join me next Thursday, same time, same station. See you then. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to LoriBeth at DrLoriBethBisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. See you next week. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection.
unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the Stay Dry Barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now.